Our scripture today is taken from Romans 8, verses 5 through 17. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we are going to continue in our study, Grace Awakening, by looking at uh, Romans 8, uh, especially in light of who the Holy Spirit is. If there is a doctrine that is uh, significantly misunderstood in the New Testament, I'm convinced it is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Who is He? What does He do? How does He work? How is it that the Holy Spirit does His work uh, in the lives of believers? How is it that the Holy Spirit does His work outside and around believers. And uh, so this morning, we are going to look at that. If you're taking notes, there are uh, three works of the Holy Spirit you'll want to jot down this morning. Three works of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit identifies believers. The Holy Spirit identifies believers. Number two, the Holy Spirit indwells and envelops you if you are a believer. So the Holy Spirit identifies you, the Holy Spirit indwells and envelops you if you are a believer. Number three, the Holy Spirit empowers you to live a new life. So the Holy Spirit identifies you, the Holy Spirit indwells and envelops you, and the Holy Spirit empowers you. Uh, let's discover how he works. And uh, I just want to let you know, we're going to bounce around this morning in this text. Uh, we'll see in, uh, in Romans uh, 8, uh, just different spots where we'll discover the work of the Spirit. Let's start with verse 9. Uh, Paul says in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So Paul says, the way you know that you belong to Christ is if you have the Spirit of Christ. Now I want to deal with something for a moment because some of you, perhaps several of you, uh, came from uh, a tradition, uh, a denomination that taught this. You come to Christ at this point, you seek the baptism of the Spirit, and then when the, bap- when the Spirit baptizes you, you are truly saved. So there's two works of salvation. One, the conversion at which you come to Christ. Secondly, the baptism of the Spirit. Here's the problem with that thinking. Here's the problem with that theology. Let me uh, explain. If you look at this verse, this verse has a negative in it. It's a word. And there are two ways in Greek to say no. One is a qualified negative. The second is an absolute negative. This has the absolute negative in it. It says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, so that not is absolutely not, does not belong to him. Absolutely not is the phrase. If you believe that, then according to this verse, when you come to Christ and you still don't have the baptism of the Spirit, you're still lost. You're still lost in your sin. You're in limbo. You have this window of time between conversion and baptism of the Spirit, and you're in limbo. And this verse clearly teaches there's no limbo. When you come to God by faith in Christ, immediately the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. And the Spirit identifies you as belonging to the Father. Now, how do we see that? Let's skip ahead to verse 16. If we look at verse 16, here we find, we'll have a little English lesson this morning, a mixed metaphor. Listen, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Two metaphors at work here. First of all, there is a courtroom. And in the courtroom metaphor, what we discover is this phrase, bears witness. The phrase bears witness literally means to testify to. So so we're carried in our minds to a courtroom. Well, what kind of courtroom? Who's the judge? Who's the jury? How does this courtroom work? Uh, Some have called this the forensic side of salvation, the judicial side of salvation. Here's how it works. In the courtroom, God is the judge. You are the defendant, and the Holy Spirit, you are the defendant, and there is a prosecuting attorney. The prosecuting attorney is Satan himself. Say, Jerry, how do you know? Scripture calls him the accuser. His job is to accuse you. His job is to uh, just to uh, drum up and find everything you've ever done wrong. And so what he does is he sits in that courtroom, and when it's time for him to present his case, he's got everything he needs. He's got every sin you've committed. He, he's got the list. He's got the time you lost your cool. He's got the time you followed your lust. He's got it all. And so you sit there as the defendant, and Satan the accuser stands up. And when he does, he begins to state his case against you. He calls you everything under the sun. 
He, he calls you a, uh, a pathological liar. He uh, calls you uh, uh, a pervert. He calls you, and the list goes on and on, and he'll attach actions to the names. He'll go back and go in the history of your life, and you sit there and you cower under the weight of the sin. And you wonder, who's going to speak for me? Why? Because you're guilty. You're guilty of everything he's saying. You're guilty. You know that time that you lost your cool when you shouldn't have. You're guilty. You know your sin. You know it better than he does. And he brings it up. And what are you going to do? And you've trusted Christ. And and you thought Jesus had forgiven you. Some of you, just this morning, that record played again. Even as you were driving to church this morning, you heard it again. So you sit there in the courtroom, everything's quiet. You're cowering in shame when your defense attorney steps up. Who is he? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit testifies. And he says, I'm not going to argue with what you're saying he's done. But then I'd like to tell you about what someone else has done. And the Holy Spirit goes to the cross and he goes to that fateful Friday that Jesus hung on the cross and died for you sinner sitting there uh, in the defense's position. And he says, but Jesus died. For him, I'm here to testify to you that Jesus' blood covers everything Satan has just brought up. Wow. Guilty? Yes. Condemned? No. Romans 8.1 now comes alive. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You sit there and the Spirit identifies you with all of your failures, with all of your sins, with all of your hangups, and the Spirit says he's ours. He belongs to us and looks at the judge who is the Father. And this is where the metaphor changes. Immediately, We see this judge in all of his stateliness, his robe that identifies that he indeed can call the shots in this courtroom. He can indeed sentence people to death. And the judge sits there and you look at him in all of the respect that you have for him. And the metaphor completely changes and Paul completely changes gears. And it's so fast, it's head spinning. And he says... The spirit, big S, identifies with your spirit, little s, that you are children of God. What? That judge that you look at with such awe and respect is your dad. Yeah. (laughs) He's... Your dad, the metaphor completely changes from a forensic, judicial one to a family, relational one. And guess what? The judge says, court's over. You get up. 
You walk out a free man, and who do you go home with? The judge. He's not wearing that robe. He, he's in the living room. He kicks his shoes off you. He, he kicks his feet up on the table, and you sit down with the judge who is also your daddy, and you sit there, and you talk to him, and you relate with him, and you have a conversation with him because the spirit, big S, with the little spirit in you says, that's my boy, that's my girl, that's, he's mine, she's mine, and there you are, and you hang out with the judge himself who's also your daddy. Wow. That's the job of the Spirit. He identifies those who are believers. He says, You belong to me. It's an amazing work that He does. Secondly, He indwells and envelops you. All right, say, how do we see that? Let's, uh, let's look at the, the first part of verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. You will not be able to wrap your minds around this. All right, so if you belong to Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you, and you are in the Spirit. All right, so how does that work? I don't know, but, it, but it's true. The Spirit of God lives in you, and you are in the Spirit. Uh, it's, it works that you are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is all around you. And I can never get my mind around that. So, so this word indwells. What, what does it mean? I go to another passage. 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 13 has nothing to do with the Spirit, but everything to help us understand the word indwells. It says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, that's dwell with him. She consents to live with him. He should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, that's dwell. She should not divorce him. The word dwell uh, refers to the most intimate relationship we'll ever have on this side of eternity, and that is that of a husband and a wife who are able to come together in marriage and be completely uh, uh, vulnerable to one another, unashamed in front of each other. The Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart and make your heart his home in this intimate union. Indwell. I received an email from Larry and April Hunter yesterday. I'm assuming it's a blog or something they get. They forwarded it to me. And in this email from Larry and April, um, it fittingly talked about this time of year, John Wooten. Wooten was that great coach of uh, UCLA that won so many, uh, so many games. He has the longest winning streak of any uh, coach, longest consecutive games, 84 games, I think, one in a row. No coach is close to that who is alive today. And, and coaching. And so he has received every accolade you could ever imagine in the sports world for coaches uh, 
But what many do not know about him is his love for his wife. Wooten was married 50-some years before she died. She's been dead longer than a decade. Yesterday happened to be the anniver- their anniversary. And on yesterday, Wooten did what he does every single month on that date. Every month, he gets out a little note, and he writes his wife a love note. And he folds it, and he goes to her pillow, and there on her pillow, on their bed, tied in yellow ribbons is a stack of them. It's a stack of love notes he's written every single month to his wife. And yesterday he tucked one in, tied it up, and said all over again, I love you. That is intimacy. That is love. And that is what you and I are promised by the Holy Spirit to have with God. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We've got the metaphor, the forensic judicial metaphor, court of law. We've got the metaphor, son and daughter. We've got the metaphor now, husband and wife. How much closer can you get? The Spirit indwells and envelops you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The Spirit indwells you. Here are a couple implications of this truth. You may want to jot them down. Number one, you are never alone. The Spirit indwells you. You are never alone. The Spirit indwells you. Number two, you are never helpless. The Spirit envelops you. You are never alone. The Spirit indwells you. You are never helpless. The Spirit envelops you. Kyle Adelman, great pastor, started a church uh, years ago in Southern California, shares the story. Adelman said that the first year of starting this church, he worked feverishly to get it off the ground. 70 hours a week, he said, I would work. I would work so much that I couldn't sleep. Uh, He said, during the course of that year, I ended up having to take sleeping pills just to fall asleep. My wife would say, you've got to take a day off. You've got to take a break, and I wouldn't, he said. He said, one night, in, late in that first year, I woke up, I couldn't sleep, and I felt like God was laughing at me. And I thought, God, why are you laughing at me? And he said, it was five years later that I got it. They had moved, they were moving, rather, and he said, I'd saved the largest piece of furniture to the end. It was a large desk. 
And my son, who was uh, then five, six, seven years old, was helping me. We were moving the desk into the house, he said. So we had gotten the desk in the house, and we had to push it. It was so heavy. And he said, so I'm pushing this desk and pushing this desk. When my son looks up at me, and he said, Dad, why don't you help me? Because he was pushing it alongside his dad. And he said, it dawned on me that my son thought he was doing all the work. And I just laughed at him, like, what are you thinking? You're barely doing anything. I just let you do this so that you could be part, that's all. And he said, all of a sudden, I went, oh, okay, God, I get it. You laughed at me because I thought I was doing all the work. I thought it was me making this church grow. I thought it was me leading this church. And God, it's you. I'm just down here kind of pushing a little on the desk. You're pushing the desk. I'm just hanging out. And he says, I finally got it. The Spirit indwells and envelops the believer so that you are never alone and you are never helpless. And third, the Spirit empowers the believer, to live a new life. Uh, We need this power. Verse 10 makes that clear. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, your old sinful nature is dead. Your body is dead. Verses 5 through 8, Picture picture that. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is your life before Christ. Unable to please God. Uh, Check this chart out that kind of helps us see this Maybe a little more succinctly, uh, according to the flesh, according to the spirit. What do you think about doing? Your minds are set on the desires of the flesh. If you're according to the spirit, your minds are set on the spirit. Uh, The deeds of the flesh ultimately lead to death. They always do. The deeds of the spirit lead to life and peace. Attitude toward God, hostile. Receptive if you live according to the Spirit. Attitude toward God's standards, God's laws. You're not going to submit to Him. You're going to do your own thing if you're according to the flesh. If you're according to the Spirit, you want to do God's. You want to live God's way. Ability to do it. This is huge because so many people say, "In my addiction, I can't quit. In my sin, I just can't quit worrying." I just can't quit this. Ability to keep God's standard. According to the flesh, unable to submit. According to the Spirit, you can submit to God's law. You can do His will. Ability to please God. You can't in the flesh. You can. You do in the Spirit. Say, say, what do you mean? Someone who doesn't know Christ Before they come to know Christ, they may do very good things. 
And many people do apart from Christ. But they still do not please God in those things. Why? Because they're tainted with sin. I struggle with the same thing. Say, Jerry, what do you mean? Well, when I preach, I have these conflicting desires. There's a desire I have for you to get it. That's a good desire. I I want you to get it. It's a burden of communication that I carry. I want you to get it. But then I have this other desire that sometimes if I say something funny, I don't feel so stupid if you laugh, right? And I I want you to laugh at times. But, But what if that desire competes with this one? Then I'm conflicted inside. What if I want you to like me more than I want to tell you the truth? And then I'm conflicted inside. See, and even as a born-again follower of Christ, my doing the right thing is tainted with wrong motives. And it's, it's hard for me to see those. Even the very good things I do can be colored with ill-devised motives and desires and thoughts. So it's unacceptable then what do we do verse verse 12 says this so then brothers and sisters we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live so what do we do listen guys you don't owe your sinful nature or any of its accomplices, anything. Anything. Some of you have friends of your sinful nature that you need to kick out of your life. They're friends, they're accomplices of the sin that tangles you up, and you need to say, I'm done, you owe them nothing. You owe your sinful, your dead sinful nature nothing. Absolutely nothing. But we are in debt to the Spirit. And we owe him uh, and, and Christ our very lives. So what do you do? He says you put to death. Romans six thirteen says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. How does that work? Here's how it works. All right, so if you're in the room this morning and you worry and you've got a test coming up, what do you do? You go, oh, wow, I've got this test coming up. (sighs) It's going to be hard. I'm going to worry for the next five days. What are you doing? You're saying, sin nature, here's my mind. Uh, I'd like for you to use it for five days. I I give my mind to you. Worry me to death. And what does your sin nature say? Yes, I got something to do. And sin nature takes your mind, and sure enough, you worry for five days. That's presenting your members to sin as members, of un- as instruments of unrighteousness. Or, it's getting warm, beach vacations, all right? So as a, as a man, you struggle. Summer is hard for you because of the less clothes that women wear. 
But your wife loves to go to the beach and you plan your trip to the beach. And as soon as you do, you think, I'm toast. As soon as I get to the beach, as soon as we get out on the beach, I'll see the good-looking girl and I'm done. And before you ever pack up the car, you take your eyes, you hand them to your simple nature and say, simple nature, lust. Why? Because when I go to the beach, that's all I've ever known is lust. So I give you, I give you my, my simple nature. What does your simple nature say? Yes, yes, I can do that. Done it for years, not a problem. And simple nature, lust. That's what it means to present your members as instruments for unrighteousness. Paul says on the converse, two things, a negative and a positive. All right, and I left the negative, I just realized, out of my service this morning, so, the, so you guys get the full version, unabridged. All right, so, so the negative is uh, Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So there's, there's a negative side, that when sin presents itself, you, you cut it off at the past, you put it to death. Uh, Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You put it to death. But that's not enough. On the positive side, you present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. All right? So let's run through the same scenario. You're a worrier. Some of you, just this very week, you've got a test. It's a medical test, whatever it may be. Your proclivity is toward worry, and you know it is. And you have already started worrying about the medical test. What do you do? Here's what you do. You say, ah, medical test. And your simple nature says, worry, worry. And uh, Christ in you says, uh, okay, God. Uh, I've got this medical test, and, and, I, and I'm giving my mind to you. You indwell me, and you envelop me. You identify me, and you empower me. And so between now and Friday, when I'll get the results, I'm yours. Whatever the outcome, I'm yours. I'll study as much as I can study. I'll do everything I know to do. And God, it's up to you. That's what it means to, to walk by the Spirit. Or it's lust. The vacation is set. You're going to the beach. And you say to the Lord, Lord, here are my eyes. I've got three months to get ready. Over the next three months, I want you to train my eyes to desire my wife and her alone. And if you just work and train these eyes to gaze on her and to desire her, her beauty and her love, I've got three months, God, to be the most loving, engaged husband at the beach I could ever be. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, yes, give me those eyes. Let me work. And what does he do? He does that. You say, Jerry, how do you know? Here's the catch. 
if the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. (laughs) Are you kidding me? The same Spirit that raised dead Jesus. His body, are you ready for this? Carried not just your sin, but the sin of every unbeliever. Every unbeliever. He carried all of that sin. And if that spirit can raise him from the crucifixion, from that uh, unbelievable beating, if that spirit can raise Jesus from the dead. Uh, Paul says, if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then that spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. You are empowered to live a brand new life. Alcoholic, no more. Drug addict, no more. Sex addict, no more. Worrier, no more. Overeater, no more. You are in Christ, and the Spirit of Christ is in you, and the Spirit of Christ in you is able to raise you up to live a brand new life. I'm about to preach in this place. He is able to make you live and and live this victorious life that completely and totally honors Christ. And you know what? You look around, and once you've done it, can you take credit? No. No. You don't say, look what I've done, or look what I did, or look what I accomplished. Absolutely not. It's the Spirit who for three months was training your eyes to gaze with great desire on your wife. It was the Spirit who for five days was training your mind to be prepped for the the reality of whatever that test was going to be. And when you walk out of that test, good or bad, you walk out and you say, I'm yours. You're mine. Wow. What a way to live. Amen? What a way to live. I either read or heard, I I can't, I've just finished reading a book by J.D. Greer, it may be in the book. But here's how he described this, and so I wanted to describe this. Uh, I wanted to illustrate this for you because I think it's so fitting. Um, most of us who know Christ, here's, here's what we do. Uh, I did this morning. I, I blew this balloon up. It's full of my hot air, right? So I, I blew it up, and it's maxed out. Shouldn't be much larger. And Greer says, and I agree, most of us live our lives like this. We fill this up with whatever we've got going for us. And we try to keep up our Christian life. And so we sing a great song and it goes up and, ah, oh, it's about to go down again. And we need another fix. And we think, oh, I've got a tithe. And, and so you give your tithe. And I've got to have my quiet time. And maybe if I get this verse in my mind, I won't sin anymore. And I'll do this again. And, and so we do that. And we spend all of our lives, and this is it, just trying to keep it up. And you come to church and, 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 and Jerry says, quit lusting. And you're like, ah. Oh. I mean, how did he know what I did, right? And so, so then, then I'm, uh, I'm talking about worrying, and I, I say, quit worrying. You're like, ah, he hit me again. Why is he doing that? And, and there you go, just flying out there, and uh, then Candy just nails you. And so, so, so that's how you live. You're just everywhere, everywhere, up and down, up and down. That's life in the flesh. That's life with your hot air in the balloon, Right? But what Greer says is, what if 
What if you lived according to the Spirit, right? And what if instead of your hot air, the Spirit lived in you? What would happen? You just float up in the rafters. No, that's not what would happen. Here's what would happen. Effortless, effortless living. That's the Spirit who indwells you, who identifies you, who envelops you, who empowers you, lifts the life through you. Do you know my burden has been this, is that I'm afraid there are so many of you in this place who know Christ, and this is your existence. This is it. And the Holy Spirit in you is screaming, I got this. I got this. I've got you. You're never alone. I want to close with a parable. And it reminded me as I was practicing the sermon early this morning, something I never even shared with Wendy. And I've forgotten, you know, one of those teenage things. And most of you know that I was quite a nerd as a teenager. But I remembered that I had a love affair as a teenager with red Mustangs. I I wanted one bad. I I can't imagine me as a nerd in a Mustang. It would be such an oxymoron, uh, a paradox of multiple kinds. But I wanted badly a red convertible Mustang. So I'm afraid it might be quite clear when I hit midlife crisis. Um, And so I would dream of owning a red Mustang convertible for some reason uh, in 1980s. You know, that's when I was a teenager. But this is a parable uh, about a man named Sinner who once received from his father a beautiful bright red convertible. He named it Salvation. Sparkling, new, clean, modern, powerful. It delighted the young man so much, especially because it was a gift. He could never have afforded it. So delighted, the boy even changed his name from sinner to saved. He polished his car every week, took pictures of it, selfies, sent it to friends, looked it over, front, back, under, top, bottom, inside out, never, never tired of telling others about the gift. My father gave it to me, he would say. It was free. Some days later, saved was seen out on the highway, pushing salvation. An individual named Helper, capital H, walked up and introduced himself and asked if he could assist. Oh, no, thanks. Just out enjoying my new car, Saved said, as he wiped the sweat off his brow. Just had a little trouble because my bumper kept cutting into my hands, especially on those heels. But then a nice man helped me out, showed me how to put these rubber mounts on the bumpers, and now I can push for miles without getting a blister. He said, also, I've been trying something new lately. They use it over in England. You put your back against the car and lift it up like this. It really helps when you're going up those muddy hills. Helper asked, have you pushed the car very far? Well, about 200 miles altogether, Saved said. It's been hard, but since it was a gift from my father, 
That's the least I can do in return to thank him. Helper walked around to the passenger door, opened it up and said to saved, get in. After hesitation, he decided it was worth a try. He slid in on the passenger side and rested for the first time since he'd been given the car. Helper walked around, opened the driver's door, slid behind the wheel, started the car. What's all that noise, Saved asked. Moments later, they were moving down the highway quietly at 50, 60 miles an hour. He was taken aback. It all seemed to fall into place. It it was even exciting. He knew he needed this salvation car to to be admitted through the gate at the end of the highway. But somehow he felt that getting there was his responsibility. I'm talking to a lot of people named Saved who've been pushing a car called Salvation. And your blisters are killing you. And the Holy Spirit, the helper, has this morning walked over to the passenger's door and opened it up and said, let's go for a ride. Will you? Will you, saved follower of Christ, let the Holy Spirit drive your car called salvation? In the early service, it was unplanned, and this one it is now. As I was finishing the sermon, I thought of this old hymn, and we're going to sing it together. We won't do it with anything up here. I want you to sing out loud. You guys have beautiful voices. Sing like one large choir. This hymn sums up everything we've been talking about, and it goes like this. Come, thou fount of singing, every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Sing out streams of mercy, that's beautiful, never ceasing. Pour forth songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love Keep singing Hither to thy love has blessed me, thou hast brought me to this place. Do you believe this? And I know thy hand will bring me safely home by thy 
good grace. Sing out. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious. Let's stand and sing this last verse. Oh, to sing out. Now, let me hear you. Great. Uh, there you go. Sing it out to him. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let's worship. Let thy goodness like a fetter by my wandering heart to thee. Sing out, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. This is a prayer. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wonder. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy core. Here's my heart, here's my heart, oh. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts of love. And God's people say, Amen. Amen.